Hello there, welcome back. It's great to be with you again. This is MLEX's podcast covering the best in regulatory affairs. My name is James Paniki and I'm a senior editor with MLEX's Asia-Pacific team. Now, you may have heard of the Aldi effect. That is the theory suggesting that when the German discount supermarket moves into your neighbourhood, it usually prompts other supermarkets in the area to lower their prices. But what about the airline industry? Can discount operators spark a similar jolt to the market? Well, the US Department of Justice believes so, which is why it has teamed up with six state attorneys general, as well as the District of Columbia, to ensure that a partnership between American Airlines and low-cost carrier JetBlue doesn't go ahead. And as we'll hear, there's a lot at stake here. In fact, it has become the showcase trial for regulators' fight against industry concentration. Luckily for us, our New York-based M&A correspondent Serafina Smith has been following the trial, and Flavia Fortes, MLEX's global head of mergers, has also been making sense of it all, and they both join me now. Okay, so Flavia, the DOJ has referred to the case as unprecedented. What aspects of this case was it referring to? Yeah, so it's interesting, actually, in their press release challenging the deal that they mentioned unprecedented five times. So normally, when we see merger challenges, uh, we have a full acquisition where you have uh, the elimination of a rival. Or when it's a vertical deal, you know, there's concerns with discrimination against rivals. Uh, and generally, joint ventures and partnerships are viewed as pro-competitive, as bringing synergies. Uh, and what we have here is this alliance that it's like they're aligning their interests, they're aligning their business, uh, but in a way that DOJ is describing as a de facto merger. So, so they say that uh, after American Airlines bought U.S. Airways in 2013, uh, it knew that it wouldn't be able to expand anymore via acquisitions. So they, they found a way around it to structure their deal in a way to avoid antitrust scrutiny. Um, so, so DOJ is alleging that it will harm consumers in the New York and Boston um, areas, and and, and also uh, because of the, the alignment of, of interests, that uh, JetBlue won't be interested in competing uh, across the country. So, it's an interesting case um, to see if the administration will be able to fight consolidation in the industry. I mean, we see that this is uh, the top four companies have 80% of the market. Uh, so, so challenging this partnership, you know, it, it will come down to what they can prove at trial. Serafina, let me bring you into the conversation now. You've been following the trial very carefully over the past weeks. Can you share maybe your first impressions uh, as to what uh, has been discussed so far and what you've made of the trial? Yeah, so the Northeast Alliance is just operating in Boston and New York City. And a lot of attention has been focused on these two airports in New York City, JFK and LaGuardia, which are slot controlled, which means that the Federal Aviation Administration administers slots, which are like a takeoff and landing time dedicated piece of airspace that's dedicated, that's allotted to these airlines. And the defendants have been arguing that access to these slots is one of the primary reasons why they entered into the Northeast Alliance, because it's so hard to compete in New York City, um, because you can't compete, you can't add capacity or grow without access to these slots. So there's been a lot of uh, focus on that. But what's interesting is that we've also seen testimony that maybe in the past these weren't as important as they're now arguing. For example, 
um, a few days ago, Vasu Raja, who's the chief commercial officer of American Airlines, testified that um, American Airlines had to give seven slots back to the Federal Aviation Administration because they didn't know they even had them. They said it was an accounting error after the 2013 merger, but that's something that they've talked about. And also in 2011, uh, U.S. Airways, before it merged with American Airlines, did a s- transfer to Delta Airlines where they gave 265 slots at LaGuardia, which is uh, New York's smaller airport, to Delta. And there's been a lot of focus in the trial now about Delta having the leading position at LaGuardia and how uh, JetBlue and American Airlines need this alliance in order to combat this um, competition from Delta. So that's something that they've been talking about a lot that's interesting. And the DOJ is arguing that this is going to increase fares, including the loss of what they call the JetBlue effect, which is a demonstrable effect that happens when JetBlue uh, begins service to an airport that the fares have been seen to go down. One example they gave is when JetBlue entered the Boston to LaGuardia market, the average walk-up fare went from $383 to $119 on the day that JetBlue entered the market. Or... When JetBlue exited the market in Pittsburgh, fares went up 75%. So those are the arguments that the DOJ is making on why this is going to increase fares. But what the defendants have on their side is that this alliance has been in effect since February 2021. And they have the data from the real world that says the fares have not increased in this time. So the DOJ is really going to have to rely on their economic experts. Economic experts are set to testify next week. um, But we've already heard that according to Nathan Miller, which is one of their um, economists from Georgetown University, that he estimates $700 million will be lost to consumers if this alliance is allowed to continue. And, and that's actually something that, that it's difficult for the DOJ to rely on, on testimony from economists because that's something that the courts in general and most recently have been discounting. So um, that we see that in general, judges prefer to focus on the facts of the case and the evidence of potential harm. So we saw in the case of T-Mobile's print uh, where the federal judge said that like that the extensive analysis that they brought um, that, that was brought by the economists, they cancel each other out. So, so we really see that increasingly federal judges are, are, are skeptical of these higher gun experts in antitrust cases. Uh, however, their testimony could be useful if, and, and even decisive yeah, if they can explain the underlying method to reach their conclusions and, and have evidence to, to support that. So uh, if they can explain to the judges in simple terms and have judges understand the methodology, I think it can make a difference here. And Flavia, we should also say that the DOJ has been on a bit of a bad run of late with two recent losses under Assistant Attorney General for Competition, Jonathan Cantor. So they they need a win here, right? Yeah, no, certainly. uh, Last month, we saw that uh, DOJ lost its challenge against United Healthcare acquisition of uh, Change Healthcare. And in that same week, a federal judge also sided with the companies in the matter of U.S. Sugar, Imperial Sugar. So uh, we're seeing that DOJ and, and also uh, the FTC have been promising more aggressive enforcement, particularly after President Biden issued an executive order uh, to promote more competition in the economy. But what we see here is that this is a hard task, a hard thing to do, because the agencies are still bound by the courts. So they, they need to prove their cases to the federal judges. Now, this trial is also interesting because it's having an impact, uh, presumably, on the pending JetBlue acquisition of Spirit 
Airlines. Uh, Serafina, what do we need to know about that? Um, I think what's interesting about that is that if the DOJ were to lose this trial and the Northeast Alliance would go into effect, that JetBlue and Spirit would then have a tougher burden to show that they are not anti-competitive with this added consolidation that JetBlue will have in the Northeast. JetBlue have said that the reason that they're interested in the acquisition is to expand JetBlue service outside of the Northeast. Spirit Airlines has more service in the rest of the country, but it's definitely going to be an uphill battle for JetBlue and Spirit if this were to go through for them to prove that the deal is not anti-competitive. We've already seen a few questions in trial about this deal, but there hasn't really been anything groundbreaking that anyone has testified to something that we don't know before. We heard from the vice president of network planning, John Kirby of Spirit Airlines. He didn't say anything about the deal. Uh, He said he was not a part of it. So we haven't had anything specific in testimony about the deal, but we know that it will have an adverse effect on the JetBlue Spirit deal if this alliance is allowed to go through. So there's interesting incentives here for JetBlue on both sides. Flavia and Serafina, thank you so much for your coverage of this uh, fascinating deal. It's been great talking to you both today. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. Flavia Fortes is MLEX's Global Head of Mergers. She was joining us from London. Serafina Smith is an M&A reporter in New York. Flavia and Serafina's analysis of the JetBlue case outlines everything that's at stake. It's now on the sunny side of the paywall, and you can find it at the following web address – mlexmarketinsight.com that's m-l-e-x marketinsight.com you'll find a news hub tab which will unlock a treasure trove of news and analysis there's also an archive of our podcasts which is also certainly worth checking out if i may speak immodestly Next week will be a busy one for the podcast. Midweek, we'll bring you a chat with our Silicon Valley team to talk about the trial of Uber's former security chief, Joseph Sullivan, who's been convicted of covering up a data breach. It's a case that has sent shockwaves through the tech industry, and our team has followed the case every step of the way. Then next Friday, we'll be talking about the EU's push to build a relationship with big tech and the reasoning behind the bloc's decision to open up an office in San Francisco. Another interesting development for our very busy Californian bureau. However, for today, I regret to say that it's all over. The MLEX podcast was produced and presented by me, James Paniki. It was published by the MLEX marketing team in London. And from me and everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. I'll see you again soon. Bye for now.